The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ in our new series, Identity Theft. We'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. We welcome our online listeners. It's good to have you with us, as well as you folks here in the uh, auditorium tonight. This is the Identity Matters Worldview Seminar. It is a part of a one-day conference we have put together on worldview issues. So what we basically did is we pulled together some of the key pictorials or diagrams that communicate very quickly within a couple hours here, communicate very quickly one of the most traumatic crises that's facing the church today. It's not going to be received well by many people is my guess, because there are so many churches and and Christians who have worked so diligently to pursue peace with all men to the point that they're unable to discern the truth anymore, at least on a regular basis. So we have an issue to deal with when it comes to worldview. Worldview, of course, is is a uh, popular word that is used out there and Typically, it could mean probably a hundred different things. You see what it does? It's kind of like finding the ark in Turkey. Once the ark is found, it's over. Because it'll bring in pieces of history and biblical truth. And it will create this dominoes effect of reactions worldwide. That's why all that kind of stuff is saved for the end times. I'm talking about really those last months and days. That's how this is. There is so much culturally that would happen if they embrace the reality of your going to hell. If you do not have Jesus Christ living within your mortal body. Yeah, you can send me some uh, 602s on that. But I got to warn you, I'm not changing my mind because it's the mind of Christ that reveals the true gospel. And I will not adjust to a culture by shifting the author of the universe, shifting him around to sound like he's some mini-god that's uh, carved in on some marble and grease. You see, a gentleman I'm ministering to is a leader in the millennial culture. And he helped me understand some really significant things. And one of the one was, as he said, Jesus is a Democrat. Like, I want to hear the logic on this one. And so he gave it to me. He said, who does the president answer to? 
I said, the people. Who does the president work for? People. Who adopted democracy into the religion? The church. Do they vote their pastor in? Oh, yeah. Do they vote him out? You see where he's going with it? He said, so bold, Jesus works for me. That's the millennial Jesus. Jesus works for the people. So, we got to refute this new Christianity that seems to be forming under our eyes and nose. Theologically, the anti-everything generation must support the lukewarm society. It just has to. See, America cannot become the Church of Laodicea unless this happens. Yes, I actually believe that America is the leader of the modern-day Church of Laodicea. You should travel around and see and visit and talk to people like I do, and I'm telling you, what our church is not healthy. We are not. The crowds are shrinking when it comes to, I want to hear some good truth. The churches that preach hardcore real truth are oftentimes shutting their doors. And the churches, I even drove by one today and I saw this big mega church and I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord. Why? How can 6,000 people sit in this building and listen to whatever it is they're listening to? How does that work? When we pray and plead and beg for two people to sit out to hear some profound truth that will set them free. How does this work? Of course, I knew the answer already, but it's the truth, I'm afraid. And the enemy needs this lukewarm society, liberal government, religious rule before there will be an acceptance of global peace, peace. There will be a full-on global peace, peace right before he initiates, or the Lord lets him initiate the tribulation. The first three and a half years of the seven-year reign is peace, peace. So you see, the, the liberal government, the liberal media, the liberal churches, the li- it has to be neutral. It has to be lukewarm for him. Laodicea is a main objective for Satan in this culture today. He must conquer the church of Laodicea. And if you're a pastor that is a flaming liberal, you are an offense to God. And if you're a pastor that is conservative because of the life of Christ, God bless you and may your congregation prosper. All two of you. You see, that's how I feel about this. There's some reason why Jesus Christ said that I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That is going completely external. He wants nothing to do with them. Then why can't I preach that way? 
The lukewarm church is the final danger to the true church of indwell believers. It's the final blade. 602-292-2982 Once the global populace has dominated and thus conformed the world into the anti-everything modality, outside of self-rule, of course, the Antichrist can take his tool out of the toolbox, step up, and finally begin to rule. This has always humorous me, and I throw it out when I'm doing this logic thing of prophecy, walking the person to this point, and then I bring the sword out. I go, okay. Because I know they're thinking, well, what's the big deal about global peace? Is anything wrong with that? Yeah. Because Jesus said there, we will never have that kind of peace if we're true witnesses. You will be persecuted as I was. You will suffer as I have. And you will be hated because I was hated first. I don't find a lot of peace in that. But see, the whole world's going to wrap around us. We're going to be the liars. And they're going to be the truth sayers because they accomplish world peace, which is the church of Laodicea. So here's the problem. When you show them what the second three and a half years is going to look like, I mean, we ain't seen nothing yet. We're talking global distress in a way that we can't even define today. So, they don't know what to do with that. Even if they read it, they they just don't know. So I just simply say, here's what liberal minds end up doing. Any quality leader will do anything possible to avoid conflict with his followers. Now if he's pushed to the edge of having to decide between truth and a lie, well, that's when the true character will be found. So Satan's going to turn on all these peace-loving picketers. I have found the most violent people in the world are the protesters that have love on their t-shirts and peace. Peace to the world. End all war. You push them and they'll get violent. Which is evidence of hatred. So to, to have Satan turn on them to gain full control of all of them because he's not interested in those people, sheep being led to a slaughter, he's interested in stealing the identity of Jesus Christ, putting that sword in the heart of Jesus. Well, it's just not going to happen. And I, I don't understand. I know you can read probably in several languages. I just don't get it. Why, why he doesn't read it? It just doesn't turn out well. 
And maybe it's a reactive rebellion thing again, but it doesn't turn out well for him. So here's what it boils down to is six basic identity markers that Satan works at. Now, I got this stuff from the millennials. I didn't get this stuff out of the Bible. This is their stuff. Human rights, technology, education, engineering, medicine, and diplomacy. I've mentioned every one of those tonight. That's their identity markers. They can tell you details about their life under those six points. So here is where it's going. The generational gap tells us in Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers under the third and fourth generations. Now, I'm not going to theologically slice and dice that verse. I'm just going to point out something that's rather unique. I don't look at the present generation anymore. You see, if this auditorium had a bunch of millennials in it, you'd really see me fired up. But see, you guys are already taught, retaught, and taught again and retaught. There's some value in that. There's, there's important stuff there for growth. But see, we're not hitting our target. We're preaching to the choir every Sunday. And what we need to do is to really, in a healthy way, understand their view of the world. And when I hear that stuff, I research it, and I ask questions. And I says, this is how I met that movie star. And now he, he wants to stay engaged in discipleship, and I'm like, wow. You know, it just argues. But I'm learning a lot. And the Holy Spirit will get a hold of them. So, these are their identity markers. If you go after them, they'll call you judgmental. You know, you're a hypocrite. Look at you. You're not perfect. No, that's why. That's why I actually need Christ. To manifest in me. Because this body is going to hell. In the flames. But not my soul and spirit. And then I'm going to get a brand new body on the other side. And the trinity of man will be complete. And they're like, well, what did you just say? Well, human mind cannot understand spiritual things. Because they've been spiritually praised already. We're going to take a little break here. In a second. But quickly to show you, Generation Z is what is following Generation Y. There's one gal that's written a book about the Generation Z. 
psychologist and she's carefully studied generational uh, behavior at, uh, the generation before the one we're in and the one after. That's kind of her deal. So she's got this book out on Generation Z and with a lot of predictions of basically what we're about to experience. Little alarming. So Generation Z haven't abandoned social networks. In fact, the prediction is 85% will be dependent on it. Presently, 12 years of age or older is the millennial generation. 12 years and younger, you're looking at the Zs. Now that obviously fluctuates. That's They always like to put these in solid dates, and which is very difficult to do. But here's our dependence percentages. 74% on Facebook, 59% on Instagram, and so forth and so on. Parents literally are managing their children through cell phones. It is estimated that a uh, technology-dependent person cannot go more than 20 minutes without picking up their phone. There's a reason for that. It's being shoved at us and put into our culture. These 12-year-olds, by the time they become adults, their economy is going to be paid by phone. Charity, donate by phone. There's tons of churches doing that already. Media, entertainment, communication, education, spirituality, online churches. I've got one. It's called IOM America. There are people that listen to our podcast because they've got nowhere to go. That's what's happening. Sexuality, sex on the phone. That's a huge issue with 12-year-olds. 12. There are statistics out there that says why, is it Switzerland or, always get the two mixed up, huh? Sweden, that has so much pornography in their culture that they haven't been to war for a hundred years or something. But that is an interesting fact, is that what it does is it, is it makes you lukewarm in convictions. Like, if this is not a setup, Then you have social posting, marriage, marital stuff, parental. Teco Talk is managing your children in the house through cameras and security locking them in, out, whatever. It's becoming very popular. And of course, uh, psychology, how they relate to others, typically through a text message. So, what is the Generation Z need to get ready for? It's actually the parents we need to show them a crisis life worldview. Well, since that's the stagnant generation, then I guess we're going to have to go with Generation X. And that's who's sitting in this room tonight. You see, Generation X can still be taught. Generation X can be reproved, corrected. Not all, of course. I'm not speaking as a blanket covering. I'm just telling you that we still think in spankings. 
We still think in being corrected with red ink. But you see, the generation after us, that is not as common. And if the scriptures are for those primary reasons that we read, Satan has already established a culture, a generation, that's going to go, bye-bye, not for me. I have a new millennial Jesus. As I heard last week before I got here from an online discipleship, Jesus is a transvestite. He's not male. He's not female. Hmm, wonder where you got that. We are messing up our kids and our grandkids because the parents are kowtowing to relationship versus truth. I think probably from what we have discussed so far, you could see that we have on our hands a millennial crisis when we, or when I look at the news and I follow what's going on globally in the news, I hear crisis of all different sorts being threatened, like now against our president. You know, we understand that the overall goal is to impeach him. It isn't, doesn't matter what the rumored gossip is or facts. They're out to impeach him because he doesn't fit the bill of the millennial style. As my friend says, the millennial Jesus. So that isn't our real crisis as it continues to be presented to us. It certainly is not our real crisis. Our real crisis is a crisis of belief. So here's just several of the things that I was told personally out of the mouths of millennials what they believe. I don't see much of a difference between playing church versus functioning as the church. Well said. Two, I don't believe in the blending of, I believe in the blending of religious thought or multiple paths can lead to, or can lead the seeker to the same God. Now, a lot of this turns into programs that have been put into a lot of the megachurches, how to reach a society or a culture or a community. You go where they're at. This gentleman I discipled for a while, and then he quit, has his church in a pub and actually serves beer during church. Now, I wanted to ask him for a picture of himself because, you know, it would probably kind of fit this millennial picture of pastors I have in my mind, but that is the kind of thing they're into. That is, it is not necessarily what you do that is the sin. Not reaching out becomes the real sin. So they're very service-oriented. And that's why their churches grow fast. Three, 
I believe that a person who has not asked Christ Jesus into their lives can go to heaven if they pass the good person checklist. That one's been around for a while. Finally, I support the idea of today's church needs a new kind of Christianity. Of course, that's the title of a book. That's why I took it. And the book is very dangerous. It's it's read by many pastors. And I'm afraid many of them are adjusting their programs accordingly. But the basic theme is, is you, you cannot minister to a world like we have today with traditional church. So there may be pieces of truth to that. But for example, our services uh, of a little fellowship that I pastor on, we have very lively music that's typically remixed like the videos that I was showing you earlier. High energy. It's a little bit uh, loud preaching. And we see members growing like I've never seen members grow in a little fellowship before. Because I'm not afraid to just not interested in the person sitting in the pew whether I'm going to step on their toes or not. It's not my business. My business is to preach the word in the very unique fashion that God gave it to me. I think you'd find out that Ezekiel was very different than Jeremiah and so forth and so on. Some lost their heads over it. (coughs) So, millennials do not want to be enslaved. That's huge to them. So when you try to minister the gospel to them about we are bond slaves to Jesus Christ, it really gets at them. I am not a slave to anyone. You see, the millennial deceivers and those who are deceived are into this peace, peace, this neutrality, this global emergent kind of entertainment and church and nation and whatever. They're into that so much typically based on the issues of slavery. They believe that all forms of prejudice comes from this foundation of slavery. And they're right. The blacks are still saying that I will not be enslaved to a white man. The white people are saying I will not be enslaved to any boss. Jessica read a quote in church the Sunday before I came out here that she read on an airplane in an airplane magazine and whoever was writing the article says statistically by, by 2025. Now that's not too far away that the millennial generation, the percentage, 50 Percent of all whoever is alive in 2025 will not have a boss. They will be self-enterprise working out of their homes because they cannot be enslaved by a boss. 
That's the white guys. Now, I know that flesh is showing up everywhere. You see, it always boils down to slavery. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. I, 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 I want to wear the volunteer mark of a bond slave. I need to be told what to do. I'm not really good at that. And Jesus is. So this is a key deception that, that has snuck its way into this generation where not just parental problems, where a child looks at the parent and says, I hate you. It used to be they did that at three. Now they're doing it at 13. And I, I listen to that kind of stuff and I go, you know, Jesus, everything you said was prophetic. All of it. There shall come a day when a child shall rise up and kill their parents. They will not be enslaved. We're in that generation. We're in that day. The murder rates are going through the ceilings. The suicide rates are going through the ceiling. It is a mess because people say, I will not be enslaved. I will kill you before that happens or I'll kill myself. It's a big problem. This is the opposite statement of the scripture I read you. And it's important to me because a lot of times to help me get understanding, I will take the truth that is being presented to me by the Lord in the, in the Bible and just wonder, well, since he is an, a rebellious perfectionist, speaking of Satan, that means he rebels with purpose and order, that how would he say this? And that helps me understand the culture. His technique, his style of getting at the culture. Here's how I think he'd say it. Indeed, all who desire to live self-centered life in and of themselves will be shamed by the traditional church. Please consider them haters and imposters of the true unity of the universal church. They will only go from bad to worse as I, as I unfold my one world unity and will attempt to deceive you with their one way, one truth, one life stuff. You, however, continue into things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Me. Always remember that from your childhood you have known the writings I provided for you that were to make you love yourself and feel good. It is a kind of human wisdom that leads to salvation per your own individual beliefs, which is in me as well. Remember never to buy into the traditional Christian scriptures that they claim to be the inspired word of God. They are not. Man wrote them and science proves it. They will tell you that these scriptures are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But I say to you, these words are hurtful, condemning, and narrow-minded. 
Remember to follow what your heart tells you to do and believe your experience and feelings are your true guide to life and are rarely wrong. And if that doesn't describe our generation why today, I don't know what does. And, you know, people people are so quick to believe Satan. This always fascinates me. And God has not given me clarity of mind on this yet. It's just, it's just fascinating to me of how quick someone jumps on a lie through a song they heard, through a movie they watched, to whatever. Just quick! And they start telling others about it right away. I'm like, man, if the gospel would work that way. The opposite happens. And then as they post all these things on, on their Facebook saying, you know, I saw such and such this, this week. It's a great movie. You know, thumbs up. You know, and the thumb goes down, thumb goes up, thumbs go down. The whole entire culture is based on acceptance. But not forgiveness. Because see, humans don't have the power to forgive. Even if you're indwelt. I will never forgive you for anything. It has to be Christ. I can't do it. So I can say the words. But see, if the hostility comes back and the blah, blah, blah keeps falling back upon me, there's really a testimony that the Holy Spirit's trying to communicate. You can't forgive anyone. I must. You see, that is so clear to me. When someone says, well, I forgive you. No, you don't. Now, if Christ is expressing forgiveness through you to me, bring it on. But see, that's normally not what's happening. That's another area that Satan has twisted up in our society that does get to me. It really does. Let's take a look at something very practical when it comes to worldview. Definitions are critical in worldview. They're just critical. So Christian equals, from the Greek, Christian equals someone who is a Christ follower. All right? It's that simple. It does not mean you're born again. Never did. Always has but never should. So what is our number one word that we use? Are you a Christian? Now, if they're Mormon, they don't want to divulge too much information yet. They could say, yes. Or a Christlam. If you ask the the past president of the United States if he was a Christian, he would say, yes. When I've heard out of his own mouth what he is. You see, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Never really did. You see, you gotta know them by their fruit. You gotta know them by their deeds. Deeds are not works. It's an overflow. You gotta know them by their love. 
Well, since God is love and God lives in us through Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit, that's the only kind and only way I can love someone is by releasing God to them. All other kind of love is self-life love. You know, many people have said this to me, are you trying to tell me that unsaved people can't love? And I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. They have passion for you, they have concern for you, they have care for you, they... but love is a name of God. And no one can share in that unless they come to him through Jesus Christ. Now that for clear preaching on the doctrines of love. What has Satan done? Love, 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 love. Everything's love, mushy, mushy concepts, principles, ideas that send people to hell. It's the oil on the pathway that people slip and slide right into the pit of hell. That's what emergent words do to a dying culture who needs Jesus really, really bad. It oils the pathway to hell through their books and tapes and movies and ideas and whatever. It is only Jesus and Jesus alone that can save them. 602-292-2982. On the right there, we have our indwell believer. Born again. One who expresses a rebirth experience. Salvation. Became filled with the Holy Spirit and now has Christ living inside their mortal bodies. There's only one group that believes that stuff. Over here, we don't even have the accurate numbers. I check all the time. It's boring because I have to count them by hand. One, two, three. I get my, uh, my initial list from the, uh, the World Council of Churches. I, I just go through their list. And then I go from there. It's ridiculous how many cults, how many religions that despise Jesus Christ that are called Christians. There's just one group over here, so you don't have to, if you want to hate them, it's only one group to hate. So it'll kind of help you stay focused. So that's our reality. That's how this crisis was born. So what really happened to true Christianity? It's This is really easy. I mean, this is so easy that the theologian guys I throw this by, they're so ridiculous, but true. How did we miss this? How did we miss it? I'm going to show you how we missed it. I want to show you where this worldview problem started and where it's going to finish. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is a confession that he's not in you. You see, I don't follow Jesus, but in the sense of him being in my mortal body and my, and my feet do move, you, I suppose you could call me a following indwelt. 
But you see, I don't follow him for life. I don't follow him to replicate what I see him doing in front of me, which is church. I don't follow him for choosing what I believe and don't believe. You see, I'm indwelt by him, and I need to hold every thought of mine captive under the Holy Spirit. And when that step happens, I don't push the mind of Christ to me. It just gets released. That's as practical as I can say it. And that came right out of the Bible. We are called to hold every thought captive under the Holy Spirit. That is the literal mind of Christ inside the indwell believer. And it'll happen. It is amazing. There's no trying, there's no effort, there's no prayers to help get you going on it. You just hold that thought captive under the Holy Spirit. That's your action. And there's a release of Christ as soon as it happens. Because he dominates your identity, because he is your identity. But he lives in this mortal flesh. Yuck. Questions that have got to be asked. I'm going to take you through these quickly. If you have the notes from the from the app, you can look at them a little closer. But basically, were the disciples Christians as they walked with Jesus? Okay? So a lot of exchange lifers are trained. They would go, nope. Okay. But most bed emergent pastors will go, well, of course they were. You go, okay, who, who's right here? Well, let's take a look at this. Were the disciples Christians after the resurrection? At what moment did the disciples become Christian? What religious group pushed for following Christ? Answers is, yes, they were followers. Christian means follower. 602-292-2982, please. Get back to the original definitions that were given to us. Christian means follower. If you do not embrace this truth, you will see someday soon the whole world is going to end up following a Christian. He will take that title And anyone who calls themselves a Christian, a Christ follower, all he's going to have to do is swap out the Christ. So were the disciples Christians after resurrection? Yes. At what moment did the disciples become Christians? Upon belief. What religious group pushed for the following? Christ. The Catholics. Now we look at this list. Were the disciples into all Christians when they were following Jesus? That would be no. And if they were, and I've had pastors argue with me on this, and if they were, he would be a liar. And he is not. He is the truth. Were the disciples into all Christians after the resurrection? That would be another no. So when did the disciples become indwelt Christians? I don't mind the word Christian, which means follower, but I like to tag on that indwelt with it. 
We gotta shake things up a bit because that term is not going to be received by the emergent world. So Pentecost is when they got it. And every person who became a Christian from that day forward received the Holy Spirit, became an indwelt believer, an indwelt Christian, whatever label you want to give them, but Christ was in them. You don't get it in a second blessing. reason why we have these sections in the church as a whole, Charismatics, Baptists, you know the groups, is because each denomination put an emphasis on one particular phase of the gospel. You see, the Charismatics push for you got to have the second blessing because it's obvious it's in the scripture. And they're correct. But they built their church on that phase. Wrong thing to do. I am charismatic because I have the zeal of Jesus Christ bubbling out of me. I have spoken tongues a few times. I've raised the dead. It's recorded in Phoenix. And it goes on and on from there. But I don't get it all the time. It's when the Holy Spirit decides now... So what we do is we lock everything in chambers. And as soon as you do that, you have, you have literally put restrictions on the Holy Spirit from manifesting His life. If there's no flow of life, the faucet's off. Doesn't mean that Christ is not there. There's no overflow. The enemy has been so crafty in setting up these 5,201 denominations that it makes me sick. If you don't believe me, go to the, the Universal, the uh, World Church of Council website and start looking at them. It makes me sick. And the reason why it makes me sick is because They think they know my Jesus. But it doesn't line up with scripture. Just phases. It's a mess. So here's what it looks like ultimately. Keeping the Greek definition in place, that light blue area are religions outside of Christianity that claim to have Christ, a Christ, and frequently use the term Christian or Christianity. Okay? That's a big chunk. Then we need to get back to turning this back on. Oh, good. So, then self-proclaimed Christians who do not separate this whole idea of being born again versus following, that's that, that millennial Jesus church group. And that's not a few churches in a few countries, I'm, I'm talking by, about people who have formed their own Jesus in their churches. Baptists, Catholics, Jehovah Witness, you know, whoever are calling themselves churches that believes in Jesus. 
Okay? And then that little yellow area right there, 4% is what it boils down to. 4% Christians who make the distinction between following Christ and being indwelt by him. 4%. But when you do your research, you have to understand something. The separation is not there. You have to do hardcore research to find out what churches and groups distinctly separate following from indwelt Christians. So I am on this war path to get with every pastor I possibly can to start a new terminology. We've, when we first started this, there was 50 plus ministries or churches that were using the term indwelt Christianity. And you can go Google it tonight. It is over 3 million. It's working. We have got to come up with new terminology for the end times because if you say you're Christian, I say, oh well, so what? Are you indwelt by the living Jesus Christ? Now that's what I'm interested in hearing. Well, we don't really say it like that. And that's what you'll get. Because in the end, they will burn guys like me. There's no way, I just can't understand why they wouldn't. Because, see, I won't shut up. And so, therefore, the ones who do shut up because they don't like rejection are going to be okay. Not realizing they're becoming more and more like the God they're serving. And that's why the final paragraph is, in, in the end, the Antichrist will swap out the Christ of the day for himself. It's so easy, it's ridiculous. And the ones who don't go for it, guess who gets hacked the second three and a half years? Those who went, oh my goodness. This is not the world peacekeeper I thought he was. There's no such thing as world peacekeeper. They don't exist. Jesus himself doesn't want this world to have peace. He's got another place for it. And I'm going there. Without question. Okay, I'm going to let you read this off of your notes. But basically what it says is the millennial style of going out to try to convert or to pass on doctrines of the church is to go to their parties, go to their places, go to their whatever, their culture, and then somehow show them or teach them how to follow Christ as an unbeliever. That's the key. So what about this critical moment of salvation? It ain't going to happen. Unless the spirit of the living God jars you know, their life and, and, and gets their attention and they fall to their face. Left, 
We have a diagram that shows us the Adamic nature on the inside, having full control of the mind, the will, the emotions, the body. But see, this is a Christ follower. And so the spirit is their human spirit, dead spirit, unregenerated. But you see the enemy has access to that dynamic, that structure, infrastructure. But Christ is on the outside. But they think they're Christians. You see, there's going to be many that are going to be standing before Jesus. You know what verse I'm about ready to go after. And, and they're saying, but, 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 but wait, I casted out demons in your name. I preached in your name. I did miracles in your name. And Jesus responds with, oh, that's right. You're right. Come on in. What does he say? He says, I don't know you. Be gone from me, you wicked generation. Go. I don't know you. See, the key here is that Christ said, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say chase them down and go to the bars that they're attending. You bring them to, bring them to you. Don't go there. Because when identity becomes friends with another identity, it's called exchanging identities. That's what makes friendship. I can only be a friend with an indwelt believer. Because I'm getting their identity and they're giving, getting mine. So there's a lot of deception on the left and the one on the right is clean and clear. Christ is, is living inside them. It's Christ's spirit and the, and the spirit of the living God is renewing the mind. The will chooses to believe it. it the emotions get all excited about it. it comes out as Christ's behavior. Now, if the enemy could just take those two diagrams and, and just overlay them, you'd be like, what? They saved her. They sound saved. They kind of act saved. He's preaching on Sunday. My director of our African office who lives in Liberia, he's constantly after me about when I'm going to bring his guys over to evangelize the pastors. He thinks America is filled with unsaved pastors preaching a social gospel to its people. And we've lost the sting of salvation. And I go, well said. Can I move to Liberia, Lester? Uh, No, I actually like ministering to the Church of Laodicea. It's one of my favorite things to do. So who am I, as we said before, is the doorway to our destiny? And what we got this list from them as well, the millennials, and that is they have basically six foundational things that are important to them in their belief system. One is spirituality, that, believe it or not, is very important to them. Leadershipology, that's from the Urban Dictionary. I'm not making up a word. Sociology, of course, that's the view of society. Physiology, which is the human body. Psychology, which is the view of self. 
And then friendology, that also is in the Urban Dictionary, and that is their relationships. So that's their base. So what we decide to do is to build our training program on those six points. Okay? So spirituality, for example, when you click on the little icon, it'll take you to a list. John's book is on there. Dr. Solomon's book is on there. The Identity Matters workbook is on there. And that's how we'll do it. And then leadership will be an exchange life writer that wrote a book on leadership and so forth. See, we're going to open up the worldview as far as at least the millennials are. This crisis life worldview has to, to have the privilege of stopping us and we then go, whose mind are they thinking with? You know, Romans 1, 26 through 29, a darkened mind. These darkened minds are the ones teaching your children and grandchildren and pastoring your churches. That's why when I drive by some of those churches, it just grieves me. There's darkened minds teaching people who are hungry and they're being given vinegar water instead of pure water. Kind of like they did with Jesus. Versus the mind of Christ, which is Philippians 2.5 and of course the famous passage out of 1 Corinthians 2.16. But see, when the mind of Christ looks at leadership, spirituality, friendship, physiology, psychology, and sociology. And it happens, by the way, these are the primary liberal arts degrees. Do you see that? They're actually getting high-end degrees on topics that will never merge with the Bible. So we come at it now from the angle of, let me tell you about true spirituality. Let me tell you about who our real leader is. It's not that pastor you don't care for. Let me tell you about our real leader. That's how we're going to have to do it. Because if it's not provable, they don't want to hear it. So we're going to build these worldview centers. We have 180 ports out there. That The ports are pretty simple. We have Lester, for example, who gathers... 815 pastors every week and he puts them in his old classroom. Most of them have smartphones and that's why we're doing more and more of what I showed you is all they got to do is tap, my notes are there or John's notes are there or whoever and then they listen to that teacher on the podcast and then Lester leads them in a discussion with questions I set up ahead of time. That's a port. So we want each of the portals to become worldview centers so that they actually take people back to the web community and start taking them through training in each of those areas. So, the spirituality, be identity in Jesus, of course, identity in the Word, identity in God's society, you know, the new earth that's coming, that's going to be a cool society. And then, you know, identity in, in our, instead of in our bodies, but into the body of Christ. 
And then identity, not into self-thinking, but the mind of Christ. And friend, well, of course Jesus is my friend. He's my husband. How many times do you hear someone refer to Jesus as their husband, particularly men? He's my husband. I'm passionately in love with him. He's my husband. I am the bride of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. You're not the husband of Christ. You have no authority over him. You don't talk to him and sell him on ideas in your self-life prayers. He is the great I am, and he has established the sovereign will of his Father in your life. You just need to accept it, not fight it, not use these self-life sales prayers. I can't tell you how many times I am with someone and they're praying. I am praying totally opposite. They're praying and moving God around like he's some kind of a, a toy. And I'm standing there, you know, holding hands, praying with the people, and I'm going, Lord, reveal your sovereignty. Overflow. Flood their souls with your will. And if they don't get it, let them embrace it. Let them accept it. While I was down there, I got a couple of emails from some friends, and they, they were a little bit disappointed in me because, you know, my wife gets diagnosed with cancer a few days before I leave for my trip. I come down on this trip. I'm sending out these reports of the wonderful things God is doing here. So I'm getting a few replies. And you can imagine what those replies are. And I said, my wife and I are in agreement that the sovereign will of God must go on. Now, if God would have said, do not go, which I canceled the trip, you know, within our own household, and I was going to start contacting people, and Jane was the one that stepped up and said, you have to go on this trip. And I know why. Wasn't the big worldview center thing either. God's sovereign plan doesn't need to be fought. It needs to be embraced. Well, every one of these areas has to have a good worldview through the mind of Christ before I believe that's going to happen. That's the worldview center process. And when someone steps up to the e-community or through a, a, a building we've established, which we're just going to make use of churches that have rooms that are not using, being used anymore. We're not going to build anything. And then we take them through those six points. They develop a crisis life worldview, and then they go on for ongoing training or whatever. And I hope to use ministries like Grace Fellowship, tightly connected relationship, so that we can use unbelievable resources to put into these pockets instead of me having to come up with it or, or a team member. We are the body of Christ. Why don't we function this way? This is a process I basically walked you through now the list of the volunteers. If you're interested in being a part of it's not established yet. I'm still talking to uh, leaders, meeting with them, explaining things to them, whatever. 
but I already know that Knoxville is going to be on the list because Knoxville supposedly is number two city in the United States in respects to embracing the Exchange Life Truths. Number two. And so that puts it on my number one. Well, it's also, you guys down here in the south, you are, I don't think you're the Bible belt, you're like the Bible foundation or something. Yeah, I mean, you hear Christian music in gas stations and, yeah, it's kind of weird for us northerners. So I understand why the Lord is using. But you need to understand at the same time, you guys probably have more followers than we do. They believe they're Christian because they grew up that way. So, pray for us. And that's what that is all about, what I was just sharing with you. We have these targeting cities. We've been to several of them already. We have one Worldview Center done. That's in Phoenix. We have a team there. They're going to town, setting me up for my first Worldview uh, Identity Conference. That's going to be this fall. And then sooner or later, those will not be done live, and if they are, be by the director. And then I'll just be able to stay home more. I want you to watch this little uh, video that we put together. And uh, it's a very positive video, because I know I did a lot of slamming of the millennials. But there's not one person within the millennial generation that I would slam. You would have to know my counseling schedule and my online schedule to know how much passion that I have to reach these people. So the false demonic doctrines connected with this generation, culture, is what I am attacking. And this is our video that we're using to say, let's reach them. Let's get her done. Father, I want to thank you for doing what you always do. And we bless you for being the father of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our husband. And we thank you for being in charge, not just of the universe, but all of its people. There's nothing that gets by you. There's no lie. There's no deception. There's nothing that the enemy can do that'll bring any kind of shock to you or surprise. Jesus, we thank you for being a confident leader, bold, immovable, knowing when it's the perfect moment to say nothing and those perfect moments to say Something. And then those uncomfortable times of the rebuke, proof. Those spankings that literally put us in a position of hearing you again. Father, if there's any listener that has realized tonight or whenever they're listening to the podcast, that they're just a follower. 
They love Jesus, admire Jesus, practice his, his teachings, try to replicate his behavior, but do not know your son. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move upon those people and that whatever words are used for this salvation prayer, that they would be saved, born again, go through the eye of the tree, and become truly indwelt children of yours. Jesus, I look forward to every opportunity of laughing, sharing, crying, and rejoicing with you. You know, I continue to pray for Philip, Craig, and Dean. You know how much I love them. And I pray that their hearts and minds would stay clear from adopting any kinds of emergent thought. We ask now that as we leave this auditorium that the Spirit would continue to teach. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.